prophet Jonah, chapter 1. We start a new series this morning. I think as we'll see, Jonah was a very unique prophet. We're going to see he had one, one thing that was different than any other prophet. That's Jonah 1 we're going to be looking at. He lived around the time, same time as the ministry of Amos and Hosea, by the way. Just a little factoid. In case you're in a presbytery exam, and they, <laughs> they do ask those kind of questions. 654 in your blue Bibles. We're going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to go as far as I can go. I'm going to watch a clock. Don't worry about it. I'm going to keep, that's why they put a clock up there for me. So at a certain time, I may just say, tune in next time and leave you hanging on a cliff. Uh, Because I literally, I've been trying all week. The hardest thing this week has been paring it down because I get so excited about the details. I could just go on and on. So we'll, we'll have to probably leave you hanging. Please come back or listen online if you're, don't live here, I want you to check out the next one because maybe all four of them. All right, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Hear God's Word to you, the Word of the Lord, this morning. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who was responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, 
Please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. That ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. My brothers and sisters in Christ. The book of Jonah is surprising. No, I'm not referring to the shocking way that God provided a huge fish to swallow his reluctant prophet and provide for him a smelly, gushy, flesh-bleaching refuge from the sea for three days, as surprising as that is. I'm not even referring to the surprising fact that the God of Israel would be concerned for a wicked, violent, and sinful people like the Assyrians who are outside the covenant community of faith. That's surprising too, isn't it? Since when does God call one of his prophets to go to the nations in the Old Testament? Here's the thing. Certainly Jonah was not surprised by God's grace extended to the wicked. He himself pointed this out in chapter 4, as we'll see later. He quotes from the book of Exodus. He says this, You are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, I submit to you that one of the two great surprises of the whole book of Jonah is this. It's the prophet's persistent, consistent refusal to see his enemies, the Ninevites, receive the same mercy and grace from God that God had granted him in Israel. That's the surprise. Here God is saying to go to a people. And instead of being in thankfulness saying, oh, God wants to share his mercy with others as he has with me, instead we see him get sullen, we see him get angry, and we know exactly what he does. How often, we even prayed earlier, I'm praying for guidance. Well, Jonah got some guidance, didn't he? He didn't like what he heard. <laughs> God says, okay, I'm going to guide you. Go do this. He does what? Uh-uh. The book of Jonah is more than just a fish story. Matter of fact, the great fish, by the way, it says in the text, great fish. It doesn't say whale. Sorry. So we don't actually know what kind of fish it was, but we know it was huge. The great fish is only mentioned twice in two verses of 48 verses. Now, the story of Jonah isn't merely the story of God's pursuit of the wicked Gentiles either. But the story of Jonah, this is what has really struck me as I've just really been in this text and digesting it. The story of Jonah is about God's patient, persistent pursuit of his wayward, rebellious prophet. It's God's grace to his stubborn, stiff-necked people 
and in many ways racist people. We're going to see that in the text. How God still pursued, God still loved, God would not let Jonah get away. And what we're going to see is how God was forming in Jonah and in all his people. That's why this book was written. The same heart of compassion for the lost and the least and even the wicked who deserve his punishment that he has. God wants us to care as much about even those who deserve his wrath that he does. Jonah screams that in every chapter. This morning I proclaim the word of the Lord to you both to saints and to sinners. It's a word to sinners in that God is pleading with the most unwashed among us, the most hardened among us in our sins, that we would turn, repent, trust in the one who's greater than Jonah. Remember Jesus said the one greater than Jonah is here. That he might relent and not send the calamity that's coming upon all who harden their hearts and refuse to repent and believe in him. That's the word to the wicked. But it's a word to saints as well in that God is opening up his great big heart of compassion for a world lost in their sins. That we might share in his heart and go, as we learned about in weeks past, and share the good news with all nations, regardless of their background their nationality, their ethnicity, their culture. This is what we're going to see in the text this morning. See how far we get. God encourages us with his patient, persistent pursuit of his prophet and of the wicked. God encourages us, I'm going to repeat it, with his patient, persistent pursuit of his prophet and the wicked. It's about as far as we're going to be able to get this morning. So we're going to see three things in particular. First, we're going to see that God commissions his prophet. Then we're going to see God pursues the wicked. And last of all, God pursues his people. That's you and me. So let's take a look at this first one. God commissions his prophet. Look at verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Just a little bit of background, so this will make some sense to you. Jonah was actually a faithful prophet in Israel. Before we go and diss Jonah and think all kinds of bad things about him, I want you to see that Jonah was actually faithful. He was one of God's hand-picked men. He spoke the word of the Lord, and we only have one place, other place in the Bible other than Jonah where he's spoken of, and that's 2 Kings 14, verses 23 to 25. And we read about uh, one of his prophecies there. I'm going to read it in full. It's not that long. This is what we read there in Second Kings. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jobash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of Araba in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath 
heifer. This is what you got to see. Jonah was pretty pleased with his first prophecy. He liked that word of the Lord. When he said, Lord, please guide me. And the Lord came and ushered him into his presence and gave him this wonderful word of prosperity for Israel. Despite all that Israel had done, despite their sinfulness, God gives Jonah this wonderful, enviable job of all preachers to tell God's people, as O. Palmer Robertson puts it, this church is going to grow and grow and grow. The membership is going to double. The blessings will abound and everybody is going to enjoy prosperity. (laughs) Talk about prosperity preaching, amen? Jonah had that blessing. God told him to go tell him that. He liked that. After all, who wouldn't love to be the bearer of that message? You know, some of us are used to, oh no, God, you really want me to tell him that? (laughs) And sometimes we want to say, I'm just the messenger. But we see here in that text that truly God is good to Israel. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Amen and amen. But now the word of the Lord comes once again to his prophet Jonah. But this time he commands him not to go to his covenant people, the Jews, to pronounce blessing. Jonah's own homies, as it were. But rather God says in effect, let's go Jonah, get your stuff. We're going on a road trip. Pack up. Grab your Torah. Let's hit it. These are the words, he says. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So let's take a quick look at that commission. As God tells him to go of all places to that cruel, violent, wicked city of Nineveh, which was a very important city in the nation of Assyria. That's what we're talking about, going to the Assyrians. And by the way, that's, we're talking northern Iraq today. Ironically enough, that's the area. We're going to see in just a few moments, Jonah's response to this word from the Lord is drastically different than the last time God's word came to him. He flees from the presence of the Lord and tries to get himself as far away from the city God calls him to go as possible. Now before we have the joy of looking at all the details of the text, which... uh, is in chapter 1 about God's patient, persistent pursuit of Jonah. Let's just take a few moments to see, learn a little bit about the people that Jonah was called to go. So now we're going to see not only that God pursues, that God commissions Jonah, now we're going to see how God pursues the wicked. And we'll really get that in chapters 3 and 4. But we get a little hint of it here. What we need to understand is that Nineveh was not just a sinful city like we're all sinful. Nineveh was a wicked, violent city. It was known for its extreme violence and cruelty. One article I read put it this way, so I can just give you a succinct description. Here's what the article said. One of the the ancient monuments discovered in the ruins of ancient Assyria had this inscription by King Asherazapal. He wrote this about a conquered city. These are the words he wrote. Their men, young and old, I took as prisoners. Of some, I cut off the feet and hands. Of others, I cut off the noses, the ears, and the lips. Of the young men's ears, I made a heap. Of the old men's heads, I built a tower. That was Nineveh. Just in case you want to be a little too hard on Jonah. 
And on top of this, they were bitter enemies of Israel, the people of the Lord. And God is telling Jonah right here, I have had enough. You know why? Because God hates the violence and the cruelty that people commit one against another. God hates it. He despises it. And God often talks about in the Old Testament how the, he, he allows his cup to get full of wrath. And then when someone fills up that cup, then it's time. Because God is patient. He's not willing. He, he doesn't desire the death of the wicked. But in this case, it finally came up too high, as it were, into heaven. We often use the, the term, it stunk all the way up to high heaven. And in this case, Nineveh stunk in the nostrils of a holy and a righteous God. His judgment would not be exercised as the mean, vindictive cruelty of some monster deity, as some people see. But rather, it's the cleansing act of a holy, a loving, and a righteous God who is righting wrong and putting evil to halt. He's a good God, but he's a holy God. He's a righteous God. We often hear people criticize God, particularly as he's revealed in the Old Testament, as cruel, vindictive, harsh. But think about it. Think about it this way. When we see children and helpless people being oppressed, the elderly being abused and taken advantage of, don't we say in our own hearts, this evil behavior has to stop? Aren't there times you wish you could do more about evil in the world? I know there are times I want to say, enough of this nonsense. Preach the gospel. I want to knock somebody in the head. And I do thank God that we at least have some semblance in our judicial system and that we at least seek to provide for a just trial. Because sometimes you just want someone to step, step up and say, enough of this. And since the God of Israel is also the God of all the earth, he's concerned with the violence and injustice that's being perpetrated in Nineveh. And sometimes we wonder, how long, O Lord? But as we'll see later in chapter 4, he says this, as he's reasoning with Jonah. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God was even concerned about the dumb animals. How injustice and violence was even affecting them. And his word to Nineveh was a simple one. Although sometimes hard to swallow. Enough. We know later the real message, the the full message was, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. But what we're going to see again and again throughout this book is that God's word to Jonah to deliver to the people of Nineveh is actually, listen, it's important to see this. It's a gracious word. It's a word of mercy. Why would it be a word of mercy? Because God is actually warning them before it's too late of his judgment to come. And that's exactly the problem that Jonah had. (laughs) Jonah was like, wait a minute. How many nations, they didn't get no warning. God just goes over there and takes care of it. 
Now, Jonah's afraid of this because he knows that the Lord is compassionate, filled with mercy, and he knows that the Lord relents in sending calamity, and he's just got that little fear inside that if he brings this message, what might happen? They might actually listen. So the last thing I want to point out this morning, and we'll continue that next time, is that God pursues his people. I do want to make one other comment I think is important before I jump to that. Maybe you find yourself in this position this morning. Maybe God's been bringing you down, down, to an end of yourself. Maybe he's been revealing to you what could happen to you if you continue on the path that you're going on now. Maybe you're seeing God is opening your heart, maybe even this morning, to show you what a Christless eternity might be. And I tell you, this is good news. Because if he's revealing this to you, that means the hounds of heaven are on your tail. And that means he cares enough about you to stop you from the present course you're on. I know uh, so many people have uh, over the years talked about we shouldn't preach hell and, and fire and brimstone and judgment. But I'll tell you right now, this young kid from Jersey thanks the living, gracious, merciful God for showing me his wrath and warning me of what was ahead if I did not turn and believe on the one who's greater than Jonah. I wanted to say that before I go on to this la- the last point, and that is this. God not only pursues the wicked because he cares He made all men, women, and children, every nation, tribe, and tongue. But last of all, God pursues his people. Look at verses 3. Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, Here's the issue when we look at this. Jonah just couldn't bring himself to bring a word of warning to these wicked, violent, and cruel enemies of God's people. Listen, I remember when I was living in Baltimore, and I was talking to a dear Christian brother um, who wasn't really that into cross-cultural ministry. And I was sharing with him what God's word says about it, and particularly to African Americans. He was Caucasian. And he said this to me, Yeah, it's all well and fine to talk about God loving them too. You didn't have to fear getting beat up and be terrorized every morning when you walked to school. And then I remember my brother Lance Lewis saying, who's African American, saying he didn't always uh, delight in walking through the Italian section of Philly. No, reaching across racial barriers with the gospel takes on a new dimension when you've been on the receiving end of people's cruelty. Jonah said he just simply couldn't bring himself to do it. He just said no. Listen, this is the way he reasoned. And we can understand it, humanly speaking. They deserve to be judged. Why in the world would I want to jeopardize their getting their just desserts? One more thing to help you think through about what's going on with Jonah. So we don't just draw, make a straw man and bad, bad. Jonah's bad, don't be bad, you know. There's a little more to it than this. Imagine God asking the most American Yahoo 
I'm talking America, you know, one of those people, and saying, I want you to go to ISIS. And I want you to warn them of the wrath to come, that they might repent and become my children and receive mercy. You understand the significance of that? We're talking about the people that cut people's heads off, Christian people's heads off, right? Imagine if God told you, go, I want you to go to them and warn them so they won't get the penalty that they rightly deserve. See, something that's interesting here is that Jonah, of all people, knew the doctrine of God's omnipresence. In other words, that God is present everywhere. So why would he attempt to run away from God when he knew he couldn't get away from God? We used to have this cat, my favorite cat. This cat adopted me. I didn't adopt him. His name was Edmund. And when he would get in trouble, he would go up to this little glass table, very small, in our living room, and he would stick his head under it and his butt would be hanging out. And he'd kind of be looking like, you don't see me, right? 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 And my wife and I would be laughing because it's like, duh. Is that what Jonah's doing here? Is he sticking his head under the table while God, knowing that God sees him? I don't think that's what's going on here. It's not so much that he thought he could actually get away from God's presence physically. His actions were simply a way of protesting the word of the Lord. This is what Jonah's saying. You can do whatever you want to do to me. I ain't going. I'm going to fast forward and tell you why I know this. Because later he says, look, just throw me in the water. It'll become calm. In other words, I'd rather die than go. Just whip me in the water. God's going to have to do what he's going to have to do because I ain't going. So Jonah flees the presence of the Lord. He buys a one-way ticket on a ship to Tarshish. And so if we didn't know the story, we might expect the next part of the story to read like this. Certainly, if God had me in, in charge, this is the way the story would read. So the Lord smite Jonah the prophet... And the word of the Lord came to Amos, the prophet. That's how I would deal with it. Oh, really? You want to be like that against the Lord God Almighty? Good night. Hey, Amos, got a mission. And that's why I say the real surprise here is the grace of God to his stubborn people. Don't you ever say, why, Lord? Why do you put up with me? Your patience is amazing. You're persistent. There's so many other better people out there, better candidates, even pagans that have better hearts than me. Certainly, that's one of the ironies in this whole story. The pagans are reacting better than Jonah through this whole story. They care about Jonah. Jonah goes to sleep. Oh, well. And when Jonah says, throw me in, what do they do? They row harder. They don't want to throw Jonah in. My brothers and sisters, how often that's our testimony to the world. And when people do say, oh, you know, some non-Christians are better than some Christians. Instead of defending ourselves, we should say, amen. That's a sad truth, isn't it, sometimes? And certainly, when God's people are running away from him, we don't look any different than the world. Worse. You may recall at the beginning of my sermon I said that one of the two real surprises of the book of Jonah is the prophet's persistent refusal to see his enemies receive the same mercy and grace that that God has graciously extended to him. Well, here we have the real surprise of the book of Jonah. It's not the fish. 
even though Jonah knew better and ran away from the Lord in his mission, our gracious, sovereign covenant God does not give up on him. Now, maybe it shouldn't, but I got to admit it does. Grace always surprises me. I got to tell you, judgment doesn't surprise me. Because <laughs> I know what I deserve. Can I get an amen? What surprises me when God keeps returning blessing and forgiveness and grace and restoration. I remember when I was a new believer, I learned this so early, that's why I say I shouldn't be surprised. And I remember some circumstances happened where I recognized that it was actually God who was preventing me from getting what I wanted at this one time. And I remember I literally said to God, I'm not, and I was so upset that normally when I was upset, I would go to his word. But I said, I'm not reading your word. I'm not praying. Because I know as soon as I open up that book, you're going to rebuke me. I ain't reading it. And I stayed on my bed. I showed him. And, no, actually I didn't. And then, so, but then as I was softening a little bit, I said, all right. I turned on the radio. And it was this goofy, corny Christian song I never heard again the rest of my life to this day. And it's, it was such a word of grace. It was when God says no to you, when God says wait to you, you know it's for his own glory and for your own good. He knows when sparrows fall. Like, and then that, that I, I just was blubbering like an idiot. Because instead of getting God's judgment, what did I get? God's grace. I just told God, I don't want to hear from you. And he turned around and said, my son, let's reason together. That's the God you serve. That's what Jonah is. Jonah is not about a fish. Jonah's not even about Jonah. And Jonah's not even about the, the wicked Assyrians. You know what Jonah's about? The compassionate, gracious mercy of the God of the universe. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the hero in this text. We're going to see in the rest of chapter 1, the pagan sailors were more receptive and open to the Lord's disciplining presence than his prophet was. Listen, so you're upset, God is saying. You're upset that Nineveh's getting my attention, even though it may be negative attention. You know, kids sometimes will get your attention and do bad things to get your attention. Well, God is, God's saying to Jonah, basically, well, let me give you some attention. And so God gives him attention, all right. It says in the text, he hurls a great wind. <laughs> I just love that. He hurls it. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. I want to show you something because I often hear this from many of my non-believing friends. It wasn't merely an act of nature. Did you notice that? Text doesn't say it was an act of nature. It wasn't the universe giving us back whatever we sown into it. Listen, the universe is an inanimate creation of God. It doesn't give or talk or do nothing. It's the God of the universe that controls the waves. It's the God of the universe that controls the weather. All of nature. 
And as we look at Jonah, he really was something else, wasn't he? I gotta say. I mean, God hurls a great wind on the sea, which brings such a violent storm that it threatens to bust up the ship. And what does he do? I think this is amazing. And even commentators try to excuse it. I don't think so. He goes down below deck and what? I mean, sound asleep. And it's true, when you walk away from God, sometimes it does bring a great depression, doesn't it? And you know you can't get away, so the only peace you can get sometimes is going to sleep. That's exactly what Jonah does. But the weather-worn veteran seamen are frightened out of their minds, and they cried out to their own gods. They frantically tried to lighten the ship by throwing things overboard. Finally, the captain goes down to Jonah and wakes him up and says, What's wrong with you? basically what's going on here how can you sleep at a time like this get up and call upon your god maybe he'll take notice of us and we won't perish here's the irony those who are ignorant of the one true god of heaven and earth they're rebuking the one who knows the lord the high king of heaven and they're rebuking him for not calling on. but listen when you're backslidden how can you pray That was Jonah's problem. Jonah was like, I'm not exactly on talking terms with him right now. And I think what's interesting later in the text, it says they knew Jonah had told him, told them that he was fleeing from the Lord. But notice they didn't take any note of that when things were going good. When the storm came all of a sudden, that meant something, didn't it? How often in our lives it's the same thing. God has to bring the storm or we're not paying attention. One of my professors used to tell the story of how when he was on a plane, he would witness. This guy, Dr. Krabendam's crazy. He would witness to everybody. Crazy in the good sense. And he would witness and he says sometimes he would be getting down, telling the people, uh, really sharing with them the gospel and then they would kind of try to get away from the topic by saying, hey, well, we're safe on this plane because we have one of God's servants here. And God's going to spare us because one of his people are on the plane. And Dr. Krabendam used to like to say, well, how do you know that I'm not safe? Because God might want to judge you and your sins, and I might go down because of you. But the interesting thing here, who was suffering because of who? The non-Christians were suffering, as it were, the unbelievers, because of the believer's disobedience. And what does that mean for you and me? That means none of us sin on our own and only affect ourselves. When are we going to learn, brothers and sisters, our disobedience, our rebellion affects all around us, like ripples. So in this case, the boat was jeopardized not because of the unbelieving crew, but because of the disobedient prophet. Of the one true God. I'm going to close here for this morning. I'm going to just say a couple words to close us. Um, I told you I was going to leave you hanging because the details get really good from here on out. But I do want to say this. In the New Testament, we just went through the book of Matthew where Jesus says this. In the New Testament, Jesus holds up Jonah as a preacher and and Nineveh which we'll fast forward we'll see that in chapter 3 and 4 
how Nineveh actually repented at the coming of preaching of Jonah. And he says, the men of Nineveh will stand up and judge this generation. Listen to me. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. (laughs) This guy we've been talking about. And then Jesus says, now one greater than Jonah is here. My brothers and sisters, we have an even greater message. Our message is about a God. Um, Caleb mentioned it earlier this week. Um, I nicked it from... Um, Michael Card and then Caleb nicked it for me and didn't give credit but I'll tell him now we have a God who really would rather die than live without us we have a God who says there is a sign that I will give this unbelieving generation it's this it's the sign of what Jonah that just as Jonah was in the belly of that great fish three days so will the son of man be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights, and then rise again. You have been shown incredible, amazing mercy. God says, don't just go to your friends and neighbors and relatives. Go to your enemies and proclaim his peace that maybe, just maybe, they too would come and join the happy band of followers of Jesus and have a destiny that's glorious where they're not treated as their sins deserve. Amen? Let's pray. Father, how we bless you and praise you that you are a God who is compassionate, filled with loving kindness, and who relents at sending calamity. You don't delight in it. That's the last resort. We pray not only for those we minister to who don't know you yet, Lord, and we do pray for them. We want to see them brought into the kingdom. We want to see your wrath averted. But, Lord, we pray for ourselves, that you would work in the hearts of your reluctant people. Father, forgive us for not caring enough. We're asleep in the deck when the world's perishing and in need of your message so desperately. Forgive us for our guilty silence. And forgive us for praying so hard for guidance and then when we get it, running the other way sometimes. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you are the sovereign God of the universe and you do what you like. And we thank you that what you like is to show mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name, the one way greater than Jonah. And all God's people said,